What would you say for our viewers and our listeners is the biggest warning flag that you might be in a church or be working with a leader in a church that is spiritually abusive or that, hey, you might be in a cult? Though we spend a lot of time on this podcast discussing music and art, the truth of the matter is we're not here to entertain you. Rather, we're here to help liberate you. Tonight, we're going to talk about a true freedom, and that true freedom is a freedom from spiritual abuse. And joining us this evening is Sarah Beth Capusta, and she lived most of her life in a spiritually abusive organization. But the good news is today she is walking free from those chains of demonic tyranny. Sarah Beth, welcome to Raven's Heart. It's so good to have you back with us. Thank you. It's really good to be back here. It's been a few years since our last interview. Yeah, it's been three years for our new Mm -hmm. viewers and listeners. We interviewed Sarah Beth three years ago where she discussed her experiences in this organization and how she left the organization and some new things have developed for you since you have, we talked to you the last time and you just released a brand new podcast entitled Reconstructing Your Faith. Can you tell us what this podcast is about and how you hope God will use it? Yes. So this podcast is for people who are struggling uh, with their faith as a result of abuse Um, any kind of hurt or doubt or just false teaching within the church. And um, this kind of abuse can come in a lot of source from a lot of sources also, including just individual relationships can have spiritual abuse in them, like familial and marital relationships. Um, And so I want this podcast to encourage people to know who God really is and be a kind and welcoming place for people to come with their doubts, because we're going to go some hard places. We're going to talk about some hard questions. Yeah, I've listened to the first edition and it's very challenging. It's even challenging to me uh, in a lot of ways of understanding who God is. And for our viewers and our listeners, I came from the same organization that Sarah Beth did. You were what, a wee one? I mean, when I when I came into the came into the fold over there, you yeah. were really young. Yeah. yeah. What year and was that? That what was, was ni- 1993. Okay, I was seven. You were seven. So Sarah Beth was seven and I was, well, we'll talk about that (laughs) in another edition, how old I was then. So you were born into this organization. And one of the things that I want to get your perspective on is when you left, you had some some time to think about things. How was it from your perspective now that this organization made itself attractive? How did it get new members and retain members? How, How did it accomplish that? Yeah. So I think it attracts people who are looking to belong. I think that's a huge factor in this. And 
at the beginning of any kind of abusive relationship, there's something that draws people in. So it was probably hospitality and kindness. Um, they also did preach uh, a little pinch of the gospel. So there was a little bit of good news in there. Quickly, it was a bait and switch with the law right after the gospel. Um, but what keeps people there then would be the obligation to stay. Um, often this leader of this cult group would kind of say, like, after all I've done for you, you know, and, and hold it over your head that he was your savior. And so people would stay. Also within cult environments and definitely within the one that we were a part of, he would basically say, nobody else has this right. Only we have this right. Nobody else is really saved and we're doing this right. And if you leave here, you're missing out on the vision of God. And people don't want to miss out on the vision of God. And so they sort of turn up that water on the boiling frogs slowly and slowly. And then here you are in a boiling pot of water and you've got to get out. So you would say it's a lot of emotional manipulation involved in how this organization worked and how organizations similar to it work mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And narcissistic personality um, plays a lot into this as well. Having that really charismatic leader up front who is um, just very in control and very able to you know, manipulate and triangulate people's behavior to get them to do what he wants. So once you escaped, you started to discover that this was not just a one, one place where this was happening, that this was more common. And for our viewers and our listeners, really, how common is this? Is this something that's widespread across the country, across the world, or is it just in certain pockets? Yeah, I think that it's a spectrum. So there's definitely uh, less abusive and more abusive. But the abuse that I've come in contact with, I actually went to a secondary abusive church after the first one, because um, I was looking for something similar, just that was what I knew. Um, and then I just have so many people talking to me and confiding in me, um, different things they've experienced in their churches growing up. And sometimes it's as simple as just, I don't want to say just, but just false teaching that leads them to view God in a negative way that he's an angry God waiting for them to mess up all the way to like actual physical harm happening to them with their church or emotional harm, that kind of thing. It's very common. Wow. So a lot of times you've referred to this organization as a cult. What what made it a cult? I mean, a lot of people throw that term around all over the place. Yeah. What made this a cult? Okay. So um, I was thinking through this yesterday, just thinking about like, what are the factors that are a cult and talking with my husband about it. And I actually also looked up, I think it's called the cult, cult, cult excuse me, cult education institute. I think something like that. And there are 10 top 10 things. They were things that I already listed off in my head and it just confirmed. But basically um, the first thing would be, um, well, they're all, they're all present in ours. Um, but there would be that leader at the top that demands complete loyalty to that person. Um, there is, you're not allowed to question them. Um, everything that they say is the gospel. Basically it's um, as the word of God in a Christian cult, it's going to be like into the word of God. And if you have any critical thinking, you got to throw that out the window. Um, you are going to have character assassination. If people leave, um, you are going to have information censored from you. You're going to be in this group. They're going to control what you know. So you can't talk to people who leave the organization. Um, let's see. You're not allowed to have questions. Um, you're not allowed to make decisions on life choices. So the control um, I've seen different spectrums of control, but ours was pretty, some of the worst I've ever seen. Um, I know for me, like even down to what I ate was controlled. 
um, financial decisions. One time in college, I opened a savings account at a bank and he found out about it and got angry at me because I didn't ask him for permission to open a savings account. And it's because he wanted to know where my money was. So I was bewildered. I was just like, what? I just, I was being responsible and opening a savings account. And I got in so much trouble for that. So that's the kind of stuff that, that are hallmarks of a cult. You know, I've heard a lot of people say now that when they've gone to join churches, they've been asked for their W-2s and their income statements and everything like that before they join the church. And that is really teetering on what you're talking about right there. So, I mean, you were born into this. This is all that you knew growing up. How did you come to the realization that this ain't, this ain't right? I need to get out of here. How did that come about? So I was in law school and we have to rewind a little bit. Uh, I look back on my story now and realize he really needed a lawyer and I guess I was going to be his lawyer. So um, I ended up going to law school and while in law school, several things happened. Um, One big thing was I came under the influence of another group of people who were teaching on the attributes of godly women and really questioning whether women should be in law school or not. And while I had physically moved away from the vicinity of the cult, I had also begun to cultivate my own relationship with the Lord outside of the cult. And so I was just really almost like a new believer, just hungering to know what does God want me to do with my life? And I remember just telling God, if you don't want me to go to law school, I'll leave. Like, that's fine. Um, So these people came into my life and I began to question whether I should be in law school. And I will go ahead and fast forward and say, um, there's no problem with women going to law school and I'm actually a licensed attorney. But at the time I, um, I was just like really convicted by that. And just, I was very much misled, but I was still tender towards the Lord. And I was like, okay, well, I want to leave law school. if That's what God wants for me. And then I realized that they wouldn't let me follow my own convictions. I had to ask permission to follow what I felt like I wanted to do with my life before the Lord. And There were some other factors. I was in a class about child abuse in the law and that class really unpacked some of those tactics. And I just kind of started, everything just started unraveling. Um, I think part of it was learning logic in law school, um, reading the Bible for myself away from them. And I'd go back and visit and think to myself, you know, if Paul himself came into this room, you would tell him he wasn't a a Christian. He wasn't safe. And I remember thinking that to myself and then telling myself, no, you're being rebellious. You can't think like that. And it all was unraveling for me for about a year before I actually left. So would you say going to law school and putting your critical thinking skills cap on that that assisted you in seeing, oh, wait a minute, especially studying law. I mean, you're dissecting everything and all of a sudden you're put in a situation by God, really, he led you there to dissect what was going on. Did that help your training in studying and looking at law? It really did, because I learned to kind of follow those thoughts all the way through. And I think just being out of the presence of their control and their manipulation allowed me to kind of detox for a time, even though I would be required to return as often as physically possible for, for breaks or for the summer. Um, you, I spent enough time around normal people and around other Christians who weren't being controlled. And I think I started, it all just fell apart. And once you can, once you see it, you can't unsee it. So I I couldn't, and it unraveled more and more after I left, but that was kind of what got me to decide to leave. 
What would you say for our viewers and our listeners is the biggest warning flag that you might be in a church or be working with a leader in a church that is spiritually abusive or that, hey, you might be in a cult? Because as we know, they don't put a sign out on the front door saying, hey, welcome to um, you know, First uh, Baptist cult. Basically, it, it's different. What's the warning signs? Yeah. So aside from other kinds of abuse and on my podcast, I'm going to be talking about how I believe that spiritual abuse, and especially when uh, when any kind of abuse happens within the context of faith, whether it is at a church or in a, in a relationship and that person's using Christianity to abuse someone, um, I'm going to call all kinds of spiritual abuse that things that include emotional, physical, sexual, financial, etc. So aside from those obvious signs of someone hitting you, sexually abusing you, financially abusing you, one of the biggest red flags that you're being spiritually abused is that you can't question the pastor. You can't ask questions. You can't disagree with that leader. And so we're specifically talking about a cult right now that has a leader in the forefront. Um, so that would be um, he demands complete unquestioning loyalty and also displays narcissistic personality tendencies. Um, I'm not a psychologist and I can't diagnose people. But I think you can research and learn a lot about narcissistic personality disorder, and you can recognize the signs in a leader. I don't know how many of your listeners have been listening to the rise and fall of Mars Hill about Mark Driscoll, but that is a really good podcast to listen to as well. And that really outlines kind of like exactly what happened, the pathology of his rise and fall. And you can see a lot of those characteristics in his personality. Um, so someone who's really narcissistic, and then you can't question them. There's a lot of organizations that are out there that are prominent, I would say, because not necessarily because the Lord elevated them and it was their heart towards the Lord, but it was their narcissistic narcissistic tendencies that got them where they're at. Yeah, I think so. I think that um, the church can attract certain types of abusers because of how forgiving and how serving Christians can be. And so a lot of times if someone says they're a pastor, people are like, oh, then you're a good person. And they trust that position of authority. And um, it, they don't really want to see the bad. I think that's something Christians don't want to see. And what I want to do is be like, well, we need to acknowledge reality and acknowledge the bad so that we can actually heal and have safe churches. Yeah, definitely time for a reality check for everyone right now, because it is so prevalent what's going on out there with this type of abuse um, at this time that we're living in. So, you know, I'm sure that there's viewers and listeners out there that are like, okay, here we go again. We've got two people that are just really having a hard time with the word of God. And they're using the term spiritual abuse to soften the gospel and diminish the holiness of God. And that's not what we're talking about. Uh, can you give a definition of spiritual abuse so people understand really what it is that we're talking about that is not um watering down the gospel or the word of god but it's something totally different it's actually quite sinister right exactly so i i've been working on a definition of this because it's a little bit abstract of an idea and um and i'm thinking of different people that i know that have been through these things so i wrote something down uh, spiritual abuse is when an individual, either in leadership, in the church, or in a place of influence or power in another person's life, twists and manipulates scripture to cause harm to another, especially to bring the abuser some kind of gain. This kind of abuse can use scripture or can simply be abuse of a place of trust and leadership. So it really has nothing to do with the message of the gospel. It has a lot to do with the person manipulating and twisting scripture to get what they want. 
And these kinds of tactics are actually used in plenty of other cults outside of Christian faith. So we've got these tactics that are used in Scientology and other type of cults, pretty prominent ones that have been in the news, Nexium, places like that. So um, it really has nothing to do with the actual real gospel, but it is a twisting of, of scripture. Sarah Beth, most of the people that were involved in this organization were highly creative people, very intelligent, very well educated. I mean, these just weren't people that rolled in off the street that were not smart at all. Uh, very uh, energetic, motivated people. And how is it that this type of person that's very educated, uh, very intelligent and creative, how do they get sucked into cults? Okay, so that was a hard thing for me coming out of this was kind of embarrassment that I fell for. Once I looked back and saw what was going on, embarrassment and shame. Um, but there's nothing to be ashamed of because I think intelligent and creative people, um, I think they're looking for that deeper meaning. And these kinds of organizations offer that. They say, you know, we we have this deeper knowledge and we're looking for that. We're looking for um, more than surface conversations. We're looking for more than surface meaning to life. And so that kind of draws you in. Um, and I think in our particular case, the leader was an academic. And so that's the kind of people he's going to draw in. I don't know that that's, that's specific. I think that's very specific to our situation um, that he's got that intellectual side. And so that's what he's going to draw in by appealing to your intellect. Um, and then they turn that manipulation up gradually until you're pretty much willing to give up your autonomy and you begin to question your own perception of reality. So I used to say, you know, he could tell you that the grass is purple and then you would say, mm, that doesn't seem right. I think it's actually green. And he's going to tell you it's purple and say, and you are a worthless piece of trash. And until you acknowledge that the grass is purple, you are in trouble until, so you admit, eventually say, fine, the grass is purple. And then you start believing that the grass is purple and then turning off your own critical thinking skills. And that's kind of like how gaslighting works. You just stop trusting your perception of reality. And that's pretty much what he did to people in there. It wasn't all at once. It was gradual and very insidious. So then a person can be in a spiritually abusive situation and not even realize it. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I think so. In fact, most of the time, what gets somebody out of an abusive situation is when they realize that they're being abused. That's, I think that's the thing. You, a lot of people cope with things. Things come on slowly in relationships, in organizations. You start out excited and going into this optimistic and you have this excitement and hope for the future and then things slowly start changing. But because you've been questioning yourself and you don't look, you don't question the other person, um, you're not going to leave until you realize kind of everything that's going on. Let's talk about your podcast a little bit more. The title's very interesting, Reconstructing Your Faith. Now, in order for there to be reconstruction, there first has to be destruction. How does reconstruction and destruction relate to somebody's relationship with Christ and in the faith? What are we talking about with deconstruction and reconstruction here? Yeah, so deconstruction is this buzzword that's kind of going around right now. And I've been really, really, really trying to avoid using it because it's actually a philosophy that kind of has to do, and it was applied a lot in literature. It's a whole thing. I, can, I need to talk about it on a whole episode um, alone. But basically, it's kind of questioning absolute truth. And it's way deeper than that. But it is this sort of uh, stepping away from absolute truth. And there are a lot of people who are doing that as they deconstruct their faith. But most people, in my experience, are kind of like me. 
they grew up in the 90s. They had purity culture. They had all this these things um, that were well-meaning or not well-meaning. I don't know. Um, that they're now taking a look at their faith, kind of doing an inventory and questioning, what am I going to keep? What am I going to get rid of? And trying to own their faith for themselves. Um, and this process can be really bewildering because a lot of times people's faith is unshakable. They they think this is what I believe. And then they might see somebody fall that's famous. Um, we, we're familiar with Josh Harris, who is the writer of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And really that... Um, just the leader of that purity culture movement who he seemed like this guy was never going to stop believing in God. And now he's way on the other end of the spectrum with deconstruction. And then you see pastors like Mark Driscoll, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and then our own personal stories and many others like us. And that really does cause people to start kind of shaking um, in their foundation about what is real. What is who is God? Because these people represented God and they're abusive. Is God abusive? And so I think that's kind of at the root of a lot of this is, you know, what's real, what's true. Um, and what, what, who is God? Can I believe in this anymore? Is this deconstruction that you're talking about equivalent to, or the same as apostasy or falling away is, are they similar or is there a difference between them? Not necessarily. I think that there are people who are genuinely questioning. And I do think that doubt is a part of our faith. Um, I, I think that, and I think that's a whole conversation. There's a lot of people who have devoted uh, books to that, that can talk about that a lot better than I can. But I think doubt is a part of our faith. I think you can approach your deconstruction with a, a genuineness and uh, what's the word I'm looking, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, a genuineness and integrity looking for absolute truth. And then there are people who are just kind of looking for an excuse to um, just not have absolute truth, to not have any um, parameters or standards that they have to live their life by. Um, so it's not, in my experience, it's not always apostasy. That's part of why I really want to draw alongside of these people, because as someone who went through this dark period myself, a lot of times Christians are not open to people asking questions. It scares them. Um, they think it's bad. And so everyone walks around acting like they've got it together and you've got these people who are struggling, who act, also feel they have to pretend. And I've been there. I, I, I want to be that person that I wish that I had at that time who was like, tell me what you're thinking. Are you mad at God? Do you, are you wondering if you even believe any of this anyways? You know, did you have to believe it? Cause you grew up in a Christian home. All those questions that people have when, when things fall apart. Yeah. And one of the things that I've discovered in this, in my healing process and walking with the Lord is that a lot of the things that are, we struggle with the questions that we have is because the word has not been rightly divided. It's not been looked at. It's looked at through the filter of the organization that we've been a part of. And I know for you and for me, for so many years, when we left that organization, it took me a long time even to open up the word of God because that because that filter and I would hear that voice. But once you get that filter gone and you see God for who he is and you start seeing things in scripture, I would say that a lot of Western Christianity is based upon just tradition and nobody's really searched the scriptures themselves to see what's in there. Yes, I agree with you. And my husband and I just became a part of a church that uh, a denomination, I'll just say, we're part of the PCA now, uh, the Presbyterian Church in America. And we believe in like catechizing our children. We're going to start with our daughter at a young age, teaching her the foundations of our faith, because I had basic theological questions 
my whole life that I had no idea the answer to them. And then you grow up thinking you have a fragile faith that can't handle questions. And what I had to realize as a, an adult woman close to 30 was that God can handle my questions. Humans can't handle my questions. And this right. <laughs> propped up narcissistic yeah. leader couldn't handle my questions, but God yeah. himself, the creator of the universe is fine with me asking him questions. And so I want to, I want people to bring those questions. Let's talk about theology. Let's talk about the tenets of the faith. Let's go back in church history and look at why we believe what we believe, because what we have in Western Christianity is uh, a celebrity pastor culture. We have, we're worshiping human beings and it's also, um, there's a lot of prosperity gospel and it can come in a whole lot of shapes and forms. Um, and so when that doesn't work out for you, when you don't have a life that turns out like you wanted it to, and you think I did all the right things, I follow the checklist, my life still stinks. Who is God? So, well, he's not someone to appease. Gospel is free, a free gift. So it's not something that we have to earn. And so you have to kind of take a step back and question, well, what have I been taught? And it kind of all falls apart. So we've got to start somewhere and start with the basic tenets of the gospel. That's a great place to start. Let's talk about the gospel for a minute, because this is something that I've had to ponder and work out in myself. As we said earlier in this broadcast, the organization that you left was where I came. And I actually, I mean, I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's where I heard the gospel and Jesus saved me. I know that for a fact. But there was so much else that was just off the wall there. And maybe you can shed some light on this. How can an organization that is so off the wall be used of God as an instrument to share the gospel for somebody to actually get saved? How does that work from what you've seen, what you've pondered, what God's shown you? Yeah, if you look at the whole of the Bible and we see characters, and I'm going to go ahead and just talk about Jonah. Jonah was not a great person. The story of Jonah is not about how awesome Jonah was, that he went to the city of Nineveh and they repented. He didn't want to go. In fact, he was angry that they repented. He, at the beginning of the book of Jonah, he said, I don't want to go because God loves mercy and he's going to save these people. And they were the enemies of him. Um, and so I'm reading a Bible study right now by Nancy Guthrie. And she points this out and she points out how Jonah, this was a city that was three days uh, wide, three days journey wide. And he only goes in one day's journey. And he only says, I, we don't know how many times he yelled out what he had to say from the Lord, but it's a really simple message and he gave it reluctantly. But the point is, is that it was the word of the Lord that was powerful. And so it wasn't about Jonah. In fact, Jonah was just as reluctant all the way into the end. The end of the story is just as bad as the beginning. He's still mad and he still isn't happy that the people repented. But even with Jonah's half-hearted obedience, um, 120,000 people repented and God saved the city. So I think that God can use anybody. Now, I am not justifying abuse. So what happened in there is wrong and God hates it. But I think we can also look and see that there's so much power in the story of the gospel that it compels sinners to salvation. So then you get stuck in there because you think, well, like you said, this must be correct. They got that right. Um, but that's why it's important that you're in a safe church that doesn't take advantage of young believers who don't know what the Bible has to say. What you just said about Jonah completely blew away every Sunday school lesson I had ever seen and <laughs> actually taught about what was really going on there. And, you know, I was just thinking, it just hit me. You were born into that organization physically, and I was born again into that organization. So there is some similarity because when I got in there, I was like, well, the gospel was right. So everything else, mm -hmm. this is 
just all that's true. The culture of salvation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's that's what I thought it was. And you said too that your perspective on the gospel, you know, what, what the depth of it really, the depth of the wonder of it really changed after you got out. How did you see this organization uh, twist the gospel or even abuse the gospel? Can you share that with us a little bit? Yes. This is something that has um, been a, a journey of mine in the last kind of recent years is really gaining an understanding that I didn't understand the free gift that the gospel really was. So what in addition to just blatant abuse. So any psychologist, anyone who studies organizations that control systems of control would say all those were in place in the organization we were in, but they also had theology and they also used the Bible. And so it seemed like, well, maybe they're teaching good things, but they were just mean about it. But that's not true. They actually were also teaching twisted version of the Bible. And what they were doing was mixing the law and the gospel together. And this has been something that has been drawn to my attention in the most recent years of my healing and really seeing that there is a distinction between the law and the gospel and really kind of studying through the book of Galatians, where Paul is talking to the Judaizers who were saying you had to be circumcised to be Christians. Well, they acknowledged that Christ did the work on the cross. They said, but you also have to do this. And Paul asked this question. He said, do you think that you can be, and I'm paraphrasing, this is not straight out of the Bible, but he said, do you think that you um, are saved by the spirit, but you have to continue by the flesh. And he's, he's saying a lot of very hyperbolic and very intense, uh, exclamations to these people who have, who has bewitched you. This is craziness. This is the gospel. And so he lays out that it's all Christ that adding to that is mixing the law with the gospel. And there's nothing you can do to appease God. He has been appeased by the work of Christ. And so as I've studied scripture and listened to sermons and listened to different podcasts, I've learned about, um, how to use the law and how to use the gospel. And when you start mixing them, you end up with this really messy system where your assurance is always on the chopping block. Your salvation is always in the chopping block and it's always up for debate. And that is how we lived in the cult that we were both a part of. Our, our assurance was constantly the trump card that the pastor could play. And we were always taught to look into ourselves for assurance rather than to the work of Christ. And we didn't understand that there are three uses of the law. As you look at scripture and to see how it's used, there is, we know the verse that talks about it's the taskmaster that draws us to Christ. That's one use of the law. Another use of the law is kind of the civil use of the law, which is to restrain evil. Um, it's just keeps the order. And then the third use of the law is to show us the guide of what keeps, not what keeps God happy, but what, what pleases the Lord the way he wants us to live. But none of the uses of the law sanctify us. None of the uses of the law make us acceptable to God. The only thing that makes us acceptable to God is our faith in Christ and the finished work of the cross. And that it's so easy to try to come in and add in, well, if you don't obey me, then you're not saved. Or if you do this and you're not saved. And then you, then you have your salvation and you have a bunch of verses that are taken out of context. Um, Depart from me, I never knew you workers of iniquity, we were constantly told, like, you never know, you may not be a Christian. But that verse, if you study the context of that verse, Jesus is talking to the people who are relying on their own self-righteousness, not to people who are trusting in the work of Christ. And so it isn't a mystery if I'm saved or if you're saved, have you trusted in Christ? So that's the gospel. And that was taken away from us. Immediately upon giving it to you, they took it back. So 
that's my big soapbox is that. <laughs> and that sports fans about the law is from a licensed attorney right there. You heard it from the attorney's mouth on the proper use of the law. And I love what you say about the book of Galatians, where Paul says, who has bewitched you? That just wasn't a statement that he used to describe what had happened. It's really what happened and what happens in these organizations. Because as I got further and further out and started to look back, I was like, oh my goodness, I was under the spell of witchcraft. And the individuals that were spinning the witchcraft were actually sorcerers like Simon the sorcerer who could do all these great things. And it was all for gain. You know, and, and that's that that's what it was. It was sorcery and witchcraft. It was demonic is, is really what it comes down to when you're in something like this. And it's not something to mess with. So anybody who's in a situation like this or has left a situation like this has had exposure to witchcraft and been under the spell of witchcraft. And that's why Paul used such, such strong words. There's something that you brought up in your first edition that I want to touch upon quickly before we close this evening is that... You mentioned that, you know, in thinking about it, these guys that were running this organization really weren't qualified to be in the positions that they were in. And that was something I was actually thinking about a little over a year and a half ago in, in some other situations. It's like, you know, because when you just look at what it takes to be a leader, there are very few people that are actually qualified to be just leaders anywhere. There, there's not many of them, especially more so when you look in a spiritual environment. So based upon what you've researched and what God has shown you, what are the qualifications for somebody to be a pastor? And really, what is a pastor supposed to be doing anyway? Yeah, so it's right in the Bible. God didn't make it a mystery of the qualifications of elders. And so it's found in Timothy and 1 Timothy and in Titus. And um, I'm not going to go through all those scripture references right now, but those are, it's right there in scripture. And some of the hallmarks of a qualified leader include um, someone who is not lording uh, sin over others, someone who is reasonable, someone who is not given to violence um, and not in it for gain. And there's a bunch of other things, but it lists off very important character qualities that pastors have to have. And I think that also pastors have very specific jurisdiction and is not controlling and meddling in the lives of their members of the church. It is to proclaim the word of God and to uh, shepherd the hearts of the believers within the congregation. And um, basically there's another scripture reference that I found as I was studying scripture over the last several years, first Corinthians five eleven. I think Paul is addressing the Corinthians in that first chapter of Corinthians and uh, the first book of Corinthians and he is not happy with them. Um, he's saying, you know, why are you acting like this? And one of the things he's confronting them on is the behavior that they're tolerating in the body of Christ. And one of the things he lists is verbally abusive people that are Christians, that are claiming to be Christians. And so it lists off several different types of behaviors and includes verbally abusive people. And he says, I didn't say, and he got backing up, he's giving the context of sexual immorality. And he's like, I didn't mean don't associate with people in the world who are sexually immoral. Then you couldn't associate with anybody. But he's saying, I'm talking about in the house of God. No, this is not acceptable. But he also goes on to list other behaviors and it does include um, verbal abuse. And um, he says, don't even eat with them. So a pastor who's verbally abusive also is unqualified. Um, that's not the behavior of a Christian that we should accept or tolerate in the church. And it does give uh, members the ability to either confront that or just leave. 
Uh, but that is not acceptable behavior. It's not just verbal abuse. It's unacceptable for a Christian. One of the other things that I've discovered in Scripture concerning that is if you take a look at your great leaders in Scripture, before they rose to a position of leadership, they had actually led something else before they got there. They had leadership training before they became a leader. Take a look at Moses. He was a shepherd. He was leading sheep. Look at David. He was leading sheep. So there was some sort of leadership preparation. They just didn't arrive because, hey, I've got a degree and I've got all these ideas or, wow, I've seen some truths in scripture, so I must be called to be a pastor. They went through some level of leadership training in addition to those qualifications that you see that are listed in in scripture as well. You know, they yeah, have that yeah. experience to do that. With your podcast, where can people go and listen to it? Right now, my podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on Anchor. I'm working on adding it to other platforms as time allows me to do that. So, yeah. And if anybody has any questions or needs help, if they're thinking about leaving a church that may be spiritually abusive or they may not know for certain if they're in a spiritually abusive situation, how can they get in touch with you personally for help and guidance and even help through the healing process? Yeah, there's a couple of ways you can reach me. One is my email address. It is reconstructing your faith, just spelled out like that, at gmail.com. Also, I interact probably the most on my Instagram. Um, it's reconstructing your faith at reconstructing your faith on Instagram. Um, I, I want to welcome people to email me and to reach out to me. I am a busy mom and I also work. So I just want to make sure you're not relying heavily on me to respond quickly. But I love helping people uh, get through some of these issues. So feel free to reach out. Sarah Beth, thank you so much for joining us for this edition. A lot of truth bombs in here. And, you know, really for those that were abusive in the situation that we were in, I, I would like to end with this. And I think it's very proper to do is to bless them in the Lord. We're going to bless those who cursed us and those who oppressed that, us, that God may reveal himself, who he is to them so that they can be liberated as well. And for those that are still in that situation, we bless them in the name of the Lord Jesus tonight as well. Sarah Beth, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be back. Get Revelation Rockfest 2022 update. All right, it's time for a Get Revelation Rockfest 2022 update. Get Revelation Rockfest is going to be taking place on Saturday, May 14th, 2022 at the Hanahan Amphitheater in Charleston, South Carolina. And wow, it's going to be an event. We're expanding it this year to be a music and arts festival. There's going to be all sorts of artists and art exhibits, as well as several different ministries there as well. And this is who we have lined up to be on stage. Headlining is Warriors of Light. We have Jenna Parr, The Last Trumpet, Armor of God, Ziggy from Charleston, South Carolina, Bread Calling, Slaves to Change, Filthy Rags, Zandria Cross, Nettie, and my friends Tricord from Georgia. It's going to be an awesome event. As you can see at the ticker below, you can get your tickets at LithosCry. That's L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y dot com. And until next week, peace out and rock on. LithosCry.com.